please remain standing for our scripture lesson. Continuing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 10. And looking back in chapter 4, he started about talking about the light of the gospel in jars of clay, and then talking about tents that groan in our bodies, looking forward to the heavenly, to now land with these verses, in beginning in verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Amen. Dear saints, you may be seated. Last night, Leslie was watching a great Ligonier video, and I was listening in. It was uh, Jason Hillopolis, something at East Lansing, PCA, not far from uh, Ann Arbor, about 50 miles. And he was reminding us of 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come to the pastor, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation or preaching, and teaching. And so it was really sweet to hear Elder Craig read publicly the scripture today. And that's what ministers do. They are to devote themselves to these things, to the preaching, teaching, and reading of Holy Scripture, as well as the sacraments and prayer. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer before we approach this very exciting text, shall we? Father, we thank you again for the courage we have in Christ Jesus, who himself is our only hope. Feed us the Lord Jesus today, we pray. May we walk with you and be filled with your spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So twice in this morning's scripture lesson, which Elder Craig just read, we read of growing, secure, mature Christian church members being of good courage in chapter 5, verse 6a and 8a. You're to be of good courage down here, despite the fact that you're in a tent of preparation, as we saw last week, that's kind of getting frayed on the edges. And uh, we anticipate the glories of the new, crew, the new body, the not same, same body, resurrected though. And this courage is despite that fact, that we groan for and look forward to this fullness of the resurrected body, which Paul had taught us so much last week, which we obviously do not yet have. Now, good courage is to be sharply distinguished from all forms of bad courage, and we'll hope to do that largely in our application section today. But suffice it for right now to mention that good courage is supernatural. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit received upon our regenerations, wherein the Holy Spirit came upon us and applied the atonement to our souls. So once we have all those blessings also coming with it is good courage. Now we need a lot of good courage down here, dears, in this world where it's rough and tumble, hard and, and difficult, trying and distressing, tribulation-filled, persecution, hardships, discouragements, disappointments, land of the living, Psalm 27, and yet 
a difficult place. We need it. It's not smooth down here. And therefore, let's make it our gospel goal this resurrection today to be of good courage as the humble and militant Church of Christ looking at 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. Every text has a doctrine. Here's the doctrine of these verses. Good courage in us is hedged in by the Spirit of God and the fear of God. H-E-D-G-E-D, hedged in. Interestingly, verses 6 through 10, which constitute our scripture lesson today, are buttressed or bounded in by verses 5 and 11a. Now, the ones that come immediately before and after our lesson give us good context, don't they? Good courage does not come out of the blue. Instead, it is the direct result of the Holy Spirit's presence among us and in us, and it's inspired by and motivated by our God-given, healthy, filial, family-love-oriented fear of God. Love and fear. Hence, let us better now grasp how good courage in us is hedged in by the Spirit of God and the fear of God. First, the Spirit of God, verse 5, gives us assurance in Christ. Now that verse 5 had read this way, and if you were here last week, you heard it. He who has given, who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So there's that wonderful boundary there. The Spirit given to us is a guarantee, a down payment, an assurance. And without that assurance, that guarantee, we would never be able to persevere down here, not for a moment. We'd easily give up, throw in the towel, call it quits. Now this is, according to Paul, in the very next verse, 6, why we have good courage. Because the Spirit was given to us as a guarantee. And as we know as well from 2 Timothy 1.7, the Spirit is not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is a powerful, supernatural Spirit that God gives us. And because the Holy Spirit lives in these earthly tents, these pre-resurrected yet truly redeemed bodies in which we find ourselves right now today, we already possess all the provision from God that we need for this world and the world to come in Jesus Christ, his gospel and his church. Everything you need, you have right now in Christ Jesus. And we are availing it of it through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit working in us, the members of the body of Christ in this fallen world. Even when we sin, we have access to the throne of grace. We have recourse to God through faith in and repentance toward our blessed and glorious, loving and sweet and beautiful Redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So in this world, dears, we have everything in Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God, verse 5, gives us assurance in Christ. And the fear of God, verse 11a, keeps us serious in Christ. You know, the true Christian church life is an eminently serious one. I like to have a lot of fun in life. I like to enjoy all kinds of things. But when it comes to church, worship, and Sunday, and preaching, and praying, and sacraments, and the people of God, the precious souls that he has accosted to himself. This is eminently serious business. 
ministry of ultimate importance. The Christian life is not a trifle. It's not a game. It's not something to be taken or left. something to be expendable, a smorgasbord. God will not be mocked. And all those who take his name in vain upon themselves in pretense, hypocrisy, and or for show or gain will certainly feel his especially stinging retribution and wrath. These are things God himself takes seriously. When you move into your new phase as a church, don't ask how can we be like all the other peoples, all the other kingdoms of the world. How can we just be like all the rest of the feel-good people in the world? No. Go for the gold, the Reformed faith, the Westminster standards, the ultimacy of what God has given us. Stick with it. And don't be ashamed. And know you're not alone. Recent readings of B.B. Warfield and J. Gresham Machen reminded me that they were bold enough to make those statements. And why should we not as well? This is what we need, though, is the fear of God, because otherwise we'll never do it. You know that the thing that keeps us tethered to the person of truth, Jesus Christ, is the fear of God. This holy, familial, love, relational fear of God. Even a sort of trembling before him. But ironically, the fear of God flows directly out of our love for God. When we realize, who is this God that has done this for me, for us, for his church? Who is this God? That this would be the ultimate act ever done in the history of reality. The cross and resurrection. That through all eternity, this will be the focus. This person, Jesus Christ, the God-man, and we would be with him. This is trembling, fearful, gracious doctrine. Our fear of God flows out of our love for God in Christ and his blood atonement of us, his elect church. Those who have no filial, family, love-oriented fear of God have no knowledge of God, despite all their claims to the contrary. None. The wicked do not fear God now. Let's face that. I'll say it again. The wicked do not fear God now, but they will on the day of judgment. The righteous, those who by grace are in Christ Jesus because he chose him and applied by the Holy Spirit, the Father did, the atonement and merits of Christ. We do fear God here and now, but on the day of judgment we will have no dread whatsoever of judgment. No fear of it whatsoever. And I've referenced for you 1 John 4.17. Also in that light, we'll seek to explain verse 10 a little later in this sermon. Let's start that exegetical section, though, and start looking at verses 6 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 5 and understand how good courage manifests itself in redeemed churchmen. So just what are the things that true church saints do? What characterizes us? What is it that without it we are shown to be nothing but ordinary, garden-variety, fallen, lost, and condemned sinners? Now these are some of the important questions we're going to seek to answer today from the five verses of our scripture lesson. So without further ado, let's delve into the important subject of how good courage manifests itself in redeemed churchmen. First, through our 
believing the unseen realities, verses 6 and 7. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, Paul's words, for we walk by faith, not by sight, are hearkening back to what he wrote in verse 18 of chapter 4. And that, here are the words he wrote there. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So he's looking back at that. So what the Apostle is teaching us here in verses 6 and 7 is that our, quote, being at home in the body and away from the Lord makes it requisite, not optional, requisite, necessary that we walk by faith and not by sight. So if we are away from the Lord and at home in the body, the tent of preparation, we must walk by faith and not by sight, right? Seeing the unseen truths and realities. But then he greatly encourages us by affirming that despite this difficult, impossible task in ourselves of walking by faith and not by sight, we are still, quote, of good courage. You're of good courage, even though you walk by faith and not by sight. And that courage is because we possess the Spirit as a guarantee, verse 5b. And to continue to move backward in our examination of Paul's thought process, because we are invested with the Blessed Spirit, we are miraculously and divinely enabled to believe the unseen things of the aforementioned 2 Corinthians 4.18. So now we can see the unseen things. Believe them. And the greatest of these unseen realities and truths are the three persons of the Holy Trinity. Have any of you seen any of those persons? The truth of the gospel itself, the atonement, your adoption, your freedom, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation, propitiation, all good things in Jesus, the best things in life, are not seen. This is where our friends and family who are outside of faith and think that all that exists is what they can see are missing almost the entirety of reality and all the most important things. This is what we wish by grace to be able to show them these glorious unseen realities. How good courage manifests itself in redeemed churchmen through our believing the unseen realities and through our loving the God we long for, verses 8 and 9. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now there's the idea of pleasing God never comes across the mind of anyone that doesn't love God. It's a uniform, universal principle. No exceptions to the rule. No one wants to please God in truth and integrity who doesn't love him. What's the greatest commandment? To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Does anything matter if we don't do that? 
The ultimacy of the Christian life is love for God through Jesus Christ. And if we do love God, then it's guaranteed that we'll want to please him. You might be saying, yeah, but I'm struggling with it. Yeah, it's okay. That's called struggling in sanctification. But do you love him? Do you understand what he's done for you? If you do in Christ Jesus, you will want to please him. In verse 8, Paul simply says it again. Don't you love his candor? He, he would rather be in heaven, quote, with the Lord, than be at home in the body, verse 6. I get the feeling it's getting pretty worn down a little bit, maybe a little, little anxious for, for glory. But, again, he prefaces that candid statement with something even more profound, and that's what he wrote at the beginning of verse 8, and I quote, Yes, we are of good courage. So what is bigger is the good courage rather than the desire to be in heaven already, which is a great thing. Then to wrap all this up in a tight, beautiful gospel package of grace, the great minister Paul gives us the overarching principle of faith and love in verse 9, quoting, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, the Lord. There's, that's it right there. Home for a little while, away for eternity. We make it our goal to please God in Christ Jesus. And again, no one will do that who doesn't love him. No exceptions. But there's, there's no hope for heaven for any but those who love God in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? And we only love God in sincerity if we truly believe in his son Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace and mercy that he procured for us in his cross and resurrection, shedding his blood and applying his atonement to us. How good courage manifests itself in redeemed churchmen through our believing the unseen realities, our loving the God we long for, and finally, through our filial, which is a family-oriented obedience, knowing that we will have to give an account of ourselves. Verse 10. This is an interesting verse, somewhat singular in some ways. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that one may receive, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now it's an interesting verse. Let's look at this. I think this is in relation to the Judgment Day, but I view this as a provisional family evaluation judgment of the true members of the church, the elect and redeemed. With regard to the great judgment that Jesus makes, he puts the sheep on his right side and the goats on his left, and he says to those who are in Christ Jesus, not guilty, forgiven, Free, no guilt, no guilt at all. And then perhaps as sort of a provisional, along with that, no guilt, heaven is ours, sins are forgiven. There is this family evaluation, wherein and by which the many promises of God's rewards of his own grace in us, and I want to say it that way, 
I don't want to say it's rewards of our own doing. I want to say it's the rewards of God's own grace in us. Those rewards will be parceled out for and in heaven for all time. To explain all this a little more, while we're on earth, our faithfulness or lack thereof to and for Christ gets made evident. The hypocrites, the pretenders, the liars, the game players, they come and they go. The true saints are able to stay the course in the faithful church. Lord's day to Lord's day to Lord's day to Lord's day to persevere till the end of their lives. That is a monumental miracle if you didn't know it. It's so easy to start a religious course and never finish it. It's finishing that matters. And upon this evidence and upon the proclamation of not guilty because Jesus Christ's blood was shed for us, we're not not guilty because we're good. We're not guilty because the sins have been paid for. They're remitted. They're gone. They're expiated. They're removed from us forever. Not guilty. We then receive from the Lord in heaven our places there. Now, dears, do you know that in heaven there will be no sadness, there'll be no envy, there'll be no jealousy, there'll be no rancor, there'll be no elbowing, there'll be no sin whatsoever. There won't even be any sighing of regret for anything in heaven. I want to say that. There won't even be even that. There won't be any of that stuff. And yet... In heaven, there will still be levels of glory. Just like Jesus consistently taught about heaven and about hell. Do you know it's to your greater advantage to suffer for Jesus and be faithful for him and in him as his church on earth? For this microsecond in the scope of eternity? Because in glory, you will get a level of glory there. It'll all be glory, but there are levels of glory. Again, these levels of reward, if I may say that, are God crowning his own grace in us, and Jesus promised this. Here's some verses. You're probably anxious. Look at them later. Mark 10:40. See also Romans 14:10 through 12. Now, there's, why do I even mention this? Why do you think Paul wrote this? Kind of scary in a way, right? If you're looking at it, you don't understand it. Well, how about motivation for godliness and Christ-likeness? How about a higher incentive to be happy in this world? The happiest, most blessed people are the ones who love Christ the most. And because of that, wish to please him. And that manifests itself in obedience, which starts first in covenant obedience in church on the Lord's Day. And, and goes out from here. It's motivation. And the gauge for all of this, dears, is love among the members of the loyal to Christ church. But here's some more encouragement for you. You might be saying, but wait a minute. I don't have a shot at one of those higher levels of glory in heaven because I'm just a little baby or I don't have, I've got problems and I can't do certain things. Listen to me carefully. 
in the kingdom church of God and glory, this has absolutely nothing at all to do with office, pastor office, elder office, deacon office, any other responsibility. has nothing to do with responsibilities in the church, except obviously the way we are faithful in them. has nothing to do with age, race, gender, or giftedness, or lack thereof. These levels of glory all come down to love. That's it. Plain and simple. Those who love Christ the most in this life will naturally and rightly be closest to him in heaven. Plain and simple. And the damned in hell, they have the same thing, only on the other end. There are many levels of perdition. Dante had it right in his Inferno. He really did. There are levels. Would an unbeliever damned want to be in the presence of God? Hardly. They'd rather be in hell. But those in the church who love Jesus Christ want to be closest to him. And that should be motivation for us. Let's do a little more application this morning and comprehend... Why biblical good courage is superior to all false forms of bad courage. You know, there is such a thing as bad courage today. Proud, arrogant, vile sinners parading themselves around as if they were paragons of virtue are actually demonstrating a sort of perverse, brazen, false courage. Right? And they like to talk about it too. Look how powerfully strong we are. But this isn't good courage. This is bad courage. Good courage is humble, faithful, and dependent upon God. Good courage is built on and out of our fear of God, and it's driven by the Spirit of God. So let's get a better grip on now why biblical good courage is superior to all false forms of bad courage. First, because gospel bravery is based in objective truth, Christ himself. Do you know that the contrite Christian church member may be full of good courage because that courage is grounded in the facts of existence, history, and redemption? In other words, our unseen hope, which Paul has called upon us to believe in, is true. And this hope is verifiable, reliable, certain, and established. Absolutely. No question about it. And all of this is in Christ. His person, his incarnation, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his session in heaven, and his coming again to judge the living and the dead. All of these things are in him. Our good courage is preeminently centered on our Lord Jesus Christ's blood atonement on the cross for us sinners, elect unto glory, and his resurrection, which secures for us our justification, finally and forever, where Jesus crushed the old snake's head. Now these truths are historical events, and they're verified to us by credible eyewitnesses. You understand that your Christian faith is built on your belief in credible eyewitnesses, who in many cases were willing to be martyred for their faith. Credible eyewitnesses. That's what your Christian faith is built on. 
And our Christian faith then is confirmed by the Holy Spirit through the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Our new Christ minds can see the truth, can see the unseen realities by faith. And we understand and know that the Lord God has given us the truth in the apostolic and prophetic writings of the Old and New Testaments, where it's codified perfectly for us in divine scriptural revelation, where we need have no doubt about its truthfulness at all. And I will say this, even as per our earlier teaching in the Christian Ed up here this morning, those of us who are redeemed, who are regenerate, know those scriptures are true. We have no doubt. Oh, we're willing and able to put them to any test anybody wants, but we know they're true. Why biblical good courage is superior to all false forms of bad courage is based in objective truth, who is Christ himself, while pompous arrogance is empty, doomed to destruction. You know, everybody has some alleged hope. Sometimes we say, oh, people have no hope. I, I remember a couple of weeks ago I, I preached here and I said, they have no hope. Well, that's true. They have no real hope. But you understand that everybody has some hope, a fake hope, a false hope, some illusory hope that somehow their lies, their deception, their suppression of the truth, their running from God really won't turn out to be as bad as they know it will. But it's a false hope. And they know it's a false hope. And I would say that even everyone, even unbelievers, demonstrate some, albeit unstable, measures of courage, as I mentioned it before, in the fierce defense of their idols, their gods, and their false gospels and false doctrines that they wish to foist on us all. But that's always been the case since the fall. Just depends on what the new version is. But in our unregeneracy, we did the same thing. Every one of us had a false hope and a false courage. But there's, do you understand that the hopes, resolves, and passionate commitments that unbelievers have to all of their false, failing, miserable idols and worthless gospels will come to absolutely nothing and be utterly destroyed. I could use any number of quotations, but I really love Psalm 37. I put it on your outline. Verses 35 and 36, the great David wrote, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Let's bring this home. Let us dash to pieces all the vile remnants of our old, carnal, flesh, courage, and worldly conceit. And let us place all our hope in Jesus and demonstrate honorable, substantial, real courage as we believe him and his gospel of grace. And that good news, dears, is that Jesus Christ came here to die for sinners. Sinners. That's who we were and are in ourselves. And he's got his people in this world. Beloved, Good courage is a glorious characteristic of regenerate churchmen. In Christ alone, we possess good courage. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for that, that we do possess good courage in Christ alone. Thank you that you have guaranteed this gospel and grace to us in Jesus. Thank you that he never fails, that you get your way always, that you always rule and reign, and that you always are glorified and your church is built up in our most holy faith. By faith, we thank you for everything that transpires in our life, in the world, in the Middle East, in our country, anywhere else in the world. And we pray for all people in the world that you would bring your people out of it, as we know you will. But use this means of prayer. We thank you for letting us join in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.